0: This is the PropTech VC podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content.
1: So if if you're brand new to the industry, and you, you've walked in many shoes, which makes this a very interesting you know interview, we can say. Uh, where is the money to be made today? Is it in the property management? Is it in the brokerage side? Is it somewhere else? Or the easy money? Let, let's say the easy money.
0: I think being an agent, there's still a lot of easy money in being an agent. But let's talk a little bit larger scale. I think it is in, in anything that is transactional in nature there. Agents and in the industry as a whole have been fed a lot of products. And they're a little tired with it. And where they need help are, whether it's a landlord from a property management aspect or whether it's um, from an agent in a brokerage. People want actual help dealing with some of those things. So that's where we're stepping in, quite frankly, is stepping in, in the middle of the transaction, helping people out with that. Now, it's not easy money. It's, you know, it's, it's the, the demand's there for it. But it is very, very hard work to deal
1: with. And, you know, it's a very different... Sort of the two choices, you're dealing with, I wouldn't say passive cash flow. Property management is hardly passive. It's extremely active, but you've got cash flow coming in. You're taking a recurring fee and that's sort of a little bit of safety there, especially if you have a minimum fee. And you know, that's interesting. It's not necessarily a percentage. It might be a percentage, but there's also sometimes a minimum per door that people charge. On the other hand, there's being an agent and you're hunting you're going out there and you're going after these you know, big transactions, often I tend to see property managers trying to also play the role of an agent because they get a lot more big bulky revenue or uh, an agent who wants some steady cash flow and is happy to sort of property manage something for a short time. Are you seeing a blurring here or do you, do you feel like people are focusing more on their own uh, skills and they're not crossing into the two?
0: I'm not sure I understand the question. You mean focusing on their
1: own skills and... See, look, I've seen property managers who are also trying to take a commission and play the role of the agent. I've also seen agents who are um, offering to be the property manager, right? Um, do, do you see that or is that more of a rare occurrence and, and you know, where, where are things going?
0: yeah okay i get you so i see a lot of agents go into property management because they do see see that as the easy reoccurring money and it helps them with that up and down cycle that they experience throughout each year and then they burn out really fast um on the property management side they do tend to sell more you know they'll a well-run property management firm will typically have a sales arm involved like they've got the they've got the the insight to know when that property is selling first before uh, anyone you know but there's often a challenge in some of those property management firms as well like that agent only sees them as a property management firm so it's very much a marketing challenge and letting them know that they can assist with anything
1: exactly I tend like to find a very different DNA uh, and I think I, I, I'm gonna give an opinion here just just for the sake of giving one if you're a hunter and you're used to that Property management can become quite a um, depressing situation because now you're having to actively focus on operations and process management, and you're getting paid what feels like peanuts. On the other hand, when you're a property manager and you've got a large portfolio, you don't even have to be a sales guy or a hunter or whatever. You've got the inventory there. You get a heads up on what's going to sell, what isn't going to sell, and sometimes you're brought in to look at a property on behalf of other funds. And that, that gives you a really good sense of what's going on. I tend to find sometimes property managers know the market a lot more, I sometimes feel, than the you know agents who are just involved on one side of the transaction.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I think you're right on the hunting thing. Um, a good agent loves that win, that closure of the deal. You don't have that in property management. It never happens. The lease is so small. The commission's like, you know, whatever, maybe a thousand, a couple thousand, at best but that's not the same as some of these larger commissions that you can receive for for really taking some effort to sell a property
1: also the property management side you're, you're very often blamed when things are not working out well when things go well okay you know a small pat on the back really um yeah. there's
0: whereas no, there's no winning in property management
1: exactly exactly in fact there's a lot of blame you know uh, there's also a lot of turnover I'm finding, and and one stat I heard was, I think most of the turnover that happens uh, within uh, brokerages or agencies are you know within the first twenty four months. Is that something you're also have experienced or are seeing? Um, yeah, and I, th- I think more so now than in the past, just
0: because it's so challenging to pick up clients at the moment or find properties for some of those clients. You know, listings are selling incredibly fast. So it's, you know, it's, it's where typically agents will pick up business from expired listings, a home that didn't sell because maybe it was overpriced. They didn't get the right advice from the previous agent on how to how to stage it. Who knows what the reason is, but all that new business is gone from new realtors coming into the industry.
1: So it sounds to me like it's it's more of the economic cycle we're in than it is the fundamental forces at work with technology.
0: I would agree with that, but there's some, some larger... Yeah, some larger... Just talking in terms of institutional buyers in the industry now. So I think that inventory shortage will be interesting to see what happens in the future. Who knows what happens with all that inventory that's been bought up and continues to be bought up. I don't know. It could be a positive thing uh, for agents in the future if that ever gets dumped.
1: What, what, what do you mean by that? How, how would it
0: be positive? Inventory. So if it's a transactional in nature... Think about it, you rely on the number of transactions that happen in a market. And so if inventory is just being bought up by a large institution that doesn't include an agent, which is there's it's it's which is growing at the moment. Um, there's less inventory. What happens when that inventory is freed up? And we've got institutions that are holding inventory, we have courts that are holding inventory, we have senior living communities that people aren't going into, so there's a lot of senior citizens that aren't selling their homes at the moment. So it, it could be a different challenge that we see over the next three years where it actually could be more inventory than we anticipated.
1: So what's your, what's your prediction? Do you think that will impact house prices ultimately? And it will be a good thing for agents cause there'll be more inventory, more transactions, um, or do you have a different view? Uh,
0: it'll again, on the consolidation side, it'll be better for those top agents and teams because they'll be able to write it for some of those smaller agents. The smaller commissions on the lower prices won't be so favorable.
1: So l- talking about commissions, speak to us. Um, what is the standard commission? And wh- what have you seen in terms of different models? I know there's the uh, flat fee. Could you be specific maybe and, and discuss what are the flat fees and what are the variable percentages? How, What type of deals have you seen? And how, how, how much of a discount are agents offering? And who's, who's taking that discount? Is it the buyer? Is it the seller? Does one have more power than the other? So a lot of questions there, but let's dive into that. Yeah, yeah. well, you can't
0: really say there's a standard commission. There's in fact, a couple of class action lawsuits around that right now. Huh. Uh, so, but I do think they put out an average. I'm not sure what that is. I know it was last I looked and it's been a while, it was like 5.1% total. So um, let's say it's 6%, which a lot of people have in their mind over time.
1: And that's, that's 3% buyer, 3% seller.
0: Yeah, and it varies. We see it vary market
1: by market.
0: Uh, Where I'm here in St. Louis, we see 2.7, regardless of what the total commission is. Yeah, so let's say it's 6% that the seller decides to pay. The way that these deals work out is then that gets paid to the listing broker. And then they're authorized to share a chunk of that to a buyer agent who brings the buyer. And the average is roughly 2.7 here in the St. Louis, Missouri market and we see it just shift all over. It typically stays within about, and then in Chicago, it's 2.5, another market I'm very familiar with. So it shifts around quite a bit, but then you see it also scaled down the higher the property value. So it, there, there's some, there's lots of different dynamics market by market. There's other fees baked into that, maybe some flat fees that are charged by brokerages on top of the commission. Um, there are 40 states that allow for commission rebates and that happens and you see some of the more progressive brokerages offering those. So what that is, is the buyer agent is uh, allowed to rebate that portion that's shared with them to their buyer to go towards closing costs or whatever. Uh, so There's a lot of different dynamics with it. It's not as clear cut as, as you would imagine it, it being. And there's a lot more room for negotiation than the most people realize as well, because a lot of them come with the same thing that that, that you did in your original comment. They think there's a standard commission, but there there really is no standard commission.
1: And then there's also the fact that you have to, if you're with a large brokerage, and, and I think in most cases you you have to have a brokerage behind you at least when you're starting out, right?
0: From a licensing perspective, yeah. And again, this is a this is one of the challenges and why no one's really going to disrupt the industry quickly is it's state by state. So every single state is different. Most states require you to be a licensed salesperson. That could be a, a broker salesperson in some states, but you have to maintain that for a period of time, some 24 months, some 30 months before you can then become a broker and sponsor other salespeople under you.
1: And also, to to become a broker, it's not like, okay, I've I've hit my three-year mark. You've got to go and and get more credentials, and it's a process, too. Not necessarily
0: credentials, but licensing. Once you have the licensing, you can go do what you'd like. Most people do join the Association of Realtors, which that gives you access to MLSs, standard forms, things that you need to actually conduct business.
1: And and I I suppose there's a cap as well on – and walk us through the dynamics here, especially as you've seen the brokerage side – if an agent is giving a commission, they still have to pay the, the brokerage firm they're with. How, how does that work? If they're giving a discount, is it pro rata? Does everyone, uh, you know, do, do do the brokerages take a flat commission to say, look, we will always take one percent, the rest is yours, or two percent, or whatever it is, or is it, or does it vary? And it's you know, if there's a discount, does everyone eat that, or is it the individual agent who has to eat that?
0: So there's different different types. So traditional brokerages do splits with the agent whatever their keep is on that. So if they sell a property and there's a 6% commission, they give 3% to the buyer agent. So that leaves 3% for them. A traditional brokerage takes a split of that. And typically it starts at like 40 to 50% of that. So at the end of the day, that agent that charged 6% only ends up with like one and a half, you know, and the brokerage does that for a number of reasons that traditional brokerage, that higher split is for a newer agent, so it could be compensation for the training, but also the air and emissions insurance, that's a number of other insurance policies they may carry, you know, of technology provided, other services within the office and so forth. So those traditional brokerages will then set a scale, like as you scale up, do more volume, then that split lowers, and it rarely goes below 10%, rarely. Uh, and then you have these, Flat fee models, which is what I described that I started with the brokerage that I started back in 2012, and that is it's a flat fee. We as a brokerage have these costs normalized. They're not variable. We're not providing you with the business. We understand that you provide it yourself. So it's a flat fee per transaction and you keep whatever. So answer your question on like who eats it, it's typically the agent that eats any kind of discounts and sometimes the brokerage, if it's that split model too, but those brokerages that do that will typically have a minimum commission that they let the agent negotiate down to.
1: And what about in the case where you've got a team of agents? Uh, is there a typical structure with, with how you see commission being split when there's you know a team of two or a team of three
0: Agents are, teams are fascinating. They're getting more and more sophisticated, which is a really cool concept. Five years ago or so, a team was like maybe two or three people that just called themselves a team because they needed someone else to show properties while they're on vacation. But now you see teams running just like a, like a boutique brokerage would within a brokerage, like a Keller Williams or an EXP or what have you. And I'm talking like 50 plus person teams where they have, you know, like a, some call themselves the CEO of the team. I don't know how they get away with that. And then they'll have, you know, people that work on the list side, people that work on the buy side, they'll have trans- people that work the transactions, people that handle the management and the general admin staff. So it's a, it's a, some of these are very sophisticated and very impressive.